You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're continuing our celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month here on KFUO. And we have an amazing history story to share with you today with just a just a very brilliant guest. So I'm excited to share this story with you today. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Rudolph Blank Sr. He's retired pastor, retired missionary, served primarily in Venezuela. Pastor Blank, thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour. Okay, it's a pleasure to be with you and to know you and say hello to our listeners. You are... The, the the go-to expert on some of our great Reformation history, particularly when it comes to um, Latin America and South America, and one particular figure that I am just now learning about, and I think uh, you too, Sarah, just now learning about, didn't know anything about, is Juan de Frias. Uh, who was Juan de Frias, Pastor Blank? Okay, Juan de Frias was a Roman Catholic priest serving in Venezuela, along with three other Roman Catholic priests. Somehow they came in contact with the Lutheran Reformation and uh, were denounced before the Inquisition, which had been set up in three different locations in South America, and they were accused of being Lutheran heretics. The four men, three were priests from the Canary Islands, and Juan de Frias was a native Venezuelan, a mulatto from the city of Caracas, uh, which is interesting because very few mulattoes were allowed to study for the priesthood at that time because of racial prejudice. But anyway, the men were taken off to prison in the prisons of, of the Inquisition in Cartagena. There also were other offices in Mexico City, and in Lima, Peru. And although they were tortured and put on all kinds of psychological pressures, they would not renounce their their Lutheranism, and they were condemned to be burned to death at the stake on the 30th of May, 1688. And the four of them died without renouncing their faith uh, in justification by faith alone. It was sort of interesting how they probably came to the faith because one of the little article I, I wrote a while ago, the great Roman Catholic cardinal in the 16th century um, sort of came down on the Lutherans saying that the Lutherans really don't live up to the marks of the Church and the Apostles' Creed because we both believe in one holy Christian and universal church and apostolic church, and the Lutherans are not an apostolic church, because apostolic means missionary. It means you're a missionary church. And look at the millions and millions of people who have been baptized into the Church of Rome in all of Latin America, and the Lutherans have done nothing in Latin America. And so... That proves 
they're not an apostolic church. And I, I think there are lots of reasons for this. And if you let me go into the history of it a bit, unless you have another question here. That was going to be my question. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Martin Luther has been accused by some people who have now not read him of not being pro-mission. But that's a false reading of Luther because uh, Luther at many times wrote that, for example, if I am captured by Turkish pirates and sold as a slave and find myself in some country in the Middle East and I'm the only Christian there and there's no church for me to go to, what do I do? And Luther said, you uh, are obligated by your faith in Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel to the heathen, even if you're not baptized, even if, even if you're not ordained to do that. I mean, you put your own salvation in jeopardy if you do not share your faith, if you hide it for yourself. And Luther, uh, Luther acknowledged that Saxony, where he lived, was a landlocked state in what is now Germany. It had no fleet that had no ways of sending boats out. Let's say when the uh, Spanish uh, Inquisition was installed in Latin America, it was mandated that no Protestant, no Moor, no Gypsy, no witch, no um, heretic be allowed even to travel the uh, Latin America and to and to live there or to do business there. If they were caught, they would be well, they would be executed and a lot of them were. No Jews could come because Spain had just come out of uh, a seven century old war to establish reestablish Christianity in Spain after the after the invasion of the Moors way back in eighth century. So let's say Isabella and Ferdinand, the rulers of, of Spain, ordered all Protestant Jews and and Muslims out of Spain. And there was a big refugee problem, and but they weren't allowed to come to Latin America. But Luther said, even if he can't send missionaries to Latin America, he's got hundreds of missionaries. And those missionaries are the Bibles, the hymn books, the prayer books, the tracts, and the theological works that are being smuggled into Latin America, especially through Holland, which, which was sort of had boats because they were a big maritime nation in the 16th and 17th century. And books were... Uh, Printed in Spanish, translation of Luther's catechism, uh, Luther's translation of the Bible, uh, translations of the Bible into Spanish, and the 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 Dutch were the weavers of, of let's say that part time of the Middle Ages. Uh, they sent the cloth and, and the the materials and the boots and, and the Spaniards sort of poured closed down a lot of their factories for making, were working with cloth 
and because everybody wanted to go to the new world and become rich. So they let stopped investing money and buying the stuff from the Dutch. And there were a lot of Lutherans in Holland at that time, along with Reformed Christians, and they smuggled the Bibles and the books and the catechisms into bolts of cloth and sent them to the New World. The Inquisition, which was sort of a secret police run by the government and the Church of Rome to find heretics, searched the boats and the bolts of cloth, but some of them got through and fell into the hands of people like Juan de Frias that studied them and were converted by them, let's say, to biblical Christianity. And, and some of them were denounced the way that Juan de Frias was and died confessing their faith. Lutherans, if they could not, because none of the, uh, let's say, the Lutheran states in, in what is now Germany had navies or ships or had shipping or there, you would have to book passage on a Spanish or a Portuguese vessel even to get to the New World, and it would be very difficult for you to get there. So Lutherans took advantage of the printing press. And it's interesting that one of the things that made, let's say, Lutherans and Protestants in general different from the mission work that was done by the Church of Rome or, let's say, other churches that uh, were not Roman or Protestant was the e emphasis put on to printing the scriptures in the language of the people and teaching people to read the scriptures in their own language. One of the first items that Lutheran missionaries that went to India and other parts of the world that packed into their boats what to take a printing press. And if you go down to Concordia Publishing House, they've got on exhibit the printing presses that the German immigrants brought with them when they came into Missouri. So what, what something that Juan de Fria shows that, that set Lutherans apart was the, that vivid desire to put the Bible into the hands of the common people, and if they didn't know how to read, to teach them how to read, and therefore to foster uh, education. And really, most of the educational programs set up in Latin America was were done by, uh, let's say, people like Francisco de Miranda going to Europe and visiting the different Lutheran countries and seeing the emphasis put on to having public schools where everybody, children and girls too, were, learned how to read and the right so they could read the scriptures. And those educational programs that Miranda and others copied down on their visits to Europe were brought back to Latin America and uh, in, in a way uh, to start changing the culture and the society where everybody could now read and write, and not, not just the sons of the people that belong to the nobility. 
such a vivid picture of the history in Latin America, particularly of the, the Reformation coming to Latin America. Today we're learning this history, particularly about Juan de Frias from the Reverend Dr. Rudolf Blank Sr. He's retired international missionary serving and served primarily in Venezuela um, and apparently just a scholar of church history. So we are so grateful for this time. We have more to learn from Pastor Blank in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Glaseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month and our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Rudolph Blank Sr. He's retired international missionary who served in Venezuela. Today we're learning the history of Juan de Frias and the Reformation coming to Latin America. Pastor, tell us about um, the the Lutherans. Uh, who who were the first Lutherans to come to Latin America? Well, the first Lutheran that we know that came to Latin America was an Austrian nobleman by the name of Justianus von Well, who was a member of the no- nobility. His family, his father, had to flee from Austria to to escape from the persecution of, of Lutherans in that country. And uh, Justianus grew up, and when he became an older man, and, and he wondered what was in the scriptures that made his father and his other family members uh, renounce their titles and, and leave Austria and come as refugees. To Germany, so he began to study Luther and his, the Scriptures, and he became convinced that there should be a Jesus-loving missionary society, and that Lutherans and other Protestants in Europe form a society to send missionaries to the people in Latin America, the different tribes that were being discovered. And he was, didn't find any takers. Nobody was interested in going over to mosquito, cannibal-ridden Latin America in order to, to convert the, the native peoples there. And so Justianus von Welt gave away all of his future. He went to Holland, and he found a Lutheran pastor in Holland who was willing to ordain von Welt as the first Lutheran missionary to Latin America. And he went over on a boat, and he came uh, over to Suriname, which is right next to Venezuela. I mean, we, Suriname is sort of what he, we used to call a Dutch Guyana. And uh, there he worked for a couple of years and disappeared, and nobody no, ever knows what happened to him. Whether he was eaten by cannibals, as some people thought, eaten by wild animals, died of 
malaria or some other disease or was killed by the native peoples. Nobody knows, but he left a bunch of books behind him, surveys of, of unevangelized tribes and people in Latin America. And maybe 20, 30 years after his death, people began to study them and said, well, this man had sort of rediscovered, let's say, the missionary impulse that should be guiding our churches. We're not only around to, to discuss theology, we're out to preach the gospel. And so all sorts of missionary societies began in London, in Germany, in Switzerland, and in other parts of, of Europe. And Luther missionaries went out from financed by the King of Denmark to India. And, uh, and, and so this man, von Welt, was sort of instrumental, first Lutheran missionary to, to Latin America. Because the Inquisition was out to Lutherans and anybody else out of Latin America, not too many Lutherans came to Latin America until the 1830s, more or less, when more liberal governments came into power after the Simon Bolivar and the revolution that set most Latin American countries free of Spain, and they became independent states. And one of the things that Simon Bolivar did was to abolish the centers of the Inquisition that first persecuted the, the Lutherans. And so Lutheran refugees started to come into, especially Brazil and Argentina. A lot of them came from Russia, uh, Lutherans that had migrated from to, to Russia in the time of Peter the Great. And uh, there was a, a very large German-speaking Lutheran colony in Russia and some of the other bordering state, and so as not to serve in the Tsar's army and the, the wars that were there in the Crimea and other parts, the thousands of Lutherans migrated, refugees coming from Argentina and uh, coming to Argentina and Brazil and setting up Lutheran churches and uh, sort of the base of the large, let's say, Lutheran Church in, in Brazil, millions of members, and a sizable church in also in Paraguay, in uh, Argentina, and Chile. So in the southern part of, of Latin America, let's say Lutheranism came in through refugee. And this is interesting because there are refugees, refugees going out from Latin America to all over the world. I mean, I worked in Venezuela for 40 years. My wife is from Venezuela. She's got dozens of relatives. Many of them are now in other countries, in Paraguay and Argentina and Colombia and Chile, Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Spain. Uh, I mean, they're sort of fleeing the political problems and, and clashes that that are taking place in, in Venezuela right now. But over 5 million Venezuelans have left Venezuela as refugees. Many of them are Christians. 
quite a few of them are Lutherans. They have come to places, even here in the United States, where there, uh, where there is no Lutheran church. And let's say the challenge is, is for refugee Lutherans you know, that once carried the gospel from Russia and um, Russia and surrounding countries, Hungary to to Latin America. Now Latin Americans are leaving Latin America for political problems in in South America, but they are a potential missionary force. And um, since I've been in theological education with Latin Americans for over 40 years. I think that now is the time to harness, let's say, the witness of refugee Lutherans that are leaving countries like Venezuela and seeking asylum elsewhere. But those who seek asylum never come alone. They carry with them their faith. And now is the moment to equip, let's say, Lutheran Christians who are forced to flee their countries, not only to other places in South America, but in other parts of the world, that every uh, every refugee Lutheran is a potential missionary and should be a missionary. And I think that's what Martin Luther wanted. And he wrote all of his tracts and catechisms and had them translated uh, even into Turkish, into Arabic, so that people who came into contact with people uh, from other cultures and speaking other languages could receive the good news of the gospel. So bringing this full circle uh, in just a couple of minutes that we have left, what is that legacy of Juan de Frias today? What, wh- how has his life and, and his martyrdom made an impact on Lutheranism in South America, uh, Latin America, and beyond? Well, I think it's by the example that he has given that the gospel is worth dying for. We don't know that much more about, let's say, Juan de Frias, the fact that he was a mulatto, a man of color, at a time when, let's say, the church was very reluctant to give positions in the church to, to people of color. And when some of them were allowed to study, uh, they were generally sent to mosquito-ridden lowland places, while the missionaries trained in Spain would be sent to, to the cities up in the, up in the mountains, where the capitals of most Latin American cities were built, so they would be above the line where the mosquitoes could breed and propagate themselves and cause sleeping sickness and malaria and and yellow fever. Pastor, I, I know it's hard to find this history of Juan de Frias. You mentioned, I think, before our before we went on the air, that um, there was a book about Juan de Frias. Any resources or anything you can point us to to learn more about Juan de Frias? Yeah, well, I mean, Gonzalo Abais Camargo, who was the first president of the uh, theological complex of seminaries in Mexico City, wrote a book that um, on, let's say, called the Protestant martyrs that were victims of the uh, 
let's say, the the Inquisition in Latin America. And uh, in his book, he has got a list of all of the people who were arrested by the or arrested by the Inquisition and forced to deny their faith or died because of their faith. Um, a lot of them were, let's say, sailors that whose boat went down in a storm and they swam ashore and, and let's say, they were not of the government or of the church of the, the, the land that they came down in. And so they were arrested and either made to confess the, the faith of, let's say, the government in that place or, or suffer the consequences. So in Bias Camargo's books, he's got a list of merchants, pirates, Huguenots fleeing from, from, from France. Another, there were attempts to settle the Huguenots, who were the French Protestants, and there were quite a few Lutherans among them, too. And uh, they tried to set up colonies in different parts of Latin America. They set up a colony on an island off of Rio de Janeiro. But the Portuguese, when they found out about it, they wiped out that, that colony and uh, its founders, and, and it disappeared. Then again, another attempt was made by the Huguenots, the French Protestants, to set up a colony in Florida, and they were also wiped out. I mean, the, the, the village or the town that they established was destroyed, and all of its inhabitants either killed or imprisoned. Hmm. So it's not that that in the early days, it, the, it, it wasn't easy to proclaim the gospel. If you proclaim the gospel, you would have to, to suffer for it. And Juan de Free is an example of, of what to expect if you really take into, take seriously the command to go into all of the world and make disciples of all creatures. The story of Juan de Frias. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Rudolf Blank Sr., is retired international missionary who served in Venezuela. Pastor Blank, thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour, sharing this just amazing history with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Don't, 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 don't,